my spidey senses tingling. Welcome to the show. Can you clap for your host, Slims? The Paper Cake Podcast, episode 74. Here we go. Big show tonight. Welcome, new listeners. He's like John Melendez to your Jay Leno over here. Uh, Really big show. Welcome. We talk about industry news, the books we're reading, and we do a book club book. This week's book club book. Will Eisner's A Contract with God. Uh, Thanks. Thanks to you, dear listener, for checking us out. Episode 74 in uh, just a great time here in four tonight. Yeah, let's. Uh, you're new, so thanks for being. Let's go around the room, introduce our panel of hosts. You know, you listen to a lot of crappy po- podcasts out there. You don't know who the, who's on the show. Hey, this is Bill. Thanks for being here, Bill. Right? They don't say that. No, nobody says. Nobody introduces themselves. No. Uh, to my right, he is sporting some amazing gray hair this week. Mm. Some of the best I've ever seen. Thank you. Uh, VP of merch of Paper Keg. Could be changing into a different name in the future. Talk to my lawyer. LLC. Uh, You're a family man. Yeah, I do. I have two children, Mm -hmm. and I have a beautiful wife. I have a family. Uh, Two cats. You're a Twitter sensation. Uh, Dale underscore A on the Twitter. Thanks for being here. 308 followers, people. Did you see that? 308. Nicely done. The list is long but distinguished. (laughs) Uh, To his right, uh, you are sporting some... Are those windbreaker pants you have on right now? They could break away at any moment. Uh, You're working on a comic book. You're an actual comic creator in the flesh. Unpublished. By choice. Uh, You made us a stew. Tonight I did Bread bowls Y'all Check them out Gen Z loves beer Thanks for being here Thank you For coming down To the show den For what could be The very last time The paper keg show den Look for it On Foursquare Or not I don't really care Uh, Representing Black people all over the world. Mm, God bless. You could be the most popular and famous black comics podcast host in history. Do you realize that, Mark? I'm still thinking about that Jay Leno reference. If he's John Melendez, does that make me Kevin Eubanks? (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. Uh, The paper keg Kevin Eubanks. You're a Batman genealogist. Absolutely. You are a DC pre-New 52 historian. No doubt. You have the certification. It was emailed to you. You saw that? I uh, made that up, and I'm interested to read more about that. No, we'll talk now about that. Now that it's that. real. 
talk about it offline. Now we know it's real. That was a test, and you just revealed yourself. You have revealed yourself to me. Mark Farrington, thanks for being here. It is good to be back. I've missed y'all. You're a published writer. Can you confirm that? That is confirmed. A magazine called Rations. Mm. Way back when. How does that feel to just rub it in Jonesy's face that you were published before him? I kicked, begged, and pleaded to be published. Jonesy is not published by choice. Mm. Big difference. Allegedly. By choice. Uh, the you know the first segment of this show, we go over some news. You know the comics industry is exciting, full of negativity. We try to bring some light into that industry together with laughs, smiles, mm. with some sad news. Oh no! That oh, the no. comic store that was once on the PSP. PSP has shuttered its digital doors. Oh, oh no. you really? can no longer buy comics on your PSP. Everyone. Who did that? A lot of people do that? I don't Well, uh, little Easter egg here. You remember the review I wrote for nerdcast.org? No. Back in the day when I was struggling <laughs> to get to break into the <laughs> to, biz to make a name for yourself. I wrote a review of the Comics Reader on the PSP. Google that. Google Nerdcast.org. What was the title of it? Do you remember? Should we just do PSP, PSP Reader? Yeah, try PSP. I can't wait to read that when comics. I get home. <laughs> and I think I think from what I remember, it was basically instructions on how to read your comics on the PSP. You know. But the bottom line is you had to want to read comics on your PSP. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody did. I think it's why the doors are shuttered. Did that have guided, like some kind of guided view-esque yeah, thing? Yeah, they did. As From what I remember, they did. It wasn't as uh, fluid- or um, I don't think it was it took you on a tour of the panels as nicely as Comixology's Guided View did. Disclaimer. But there was, it. it I remember it looking sharp, and I remember you would be able to get a, a, a comic read on the PSP probably better than you would on your iPhone. Really? At the time, yeah. Get um, out. You know, well, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. We got a lot of requests for a comics app on the Vita. A lot of people wanted a Vita app. Really? Yeah. I, I, that would make perfect sense. Really? Especially with the touchscreen capabilities. Never touched a Vita. A Vita. Is it Vita? Uh, it's, it's a Vita. Vita. Vita? It's Vita. It's Sounds a Vita. like a water, like, you know, cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. I recall that. I'm I saw it. I saw one in the flesh, or in the silicon, at mm. a GameStop. Yeah, and uh, it was. It's really just a HD version of the PSP. It's real. I mean, I didn't see wow. the PSP. Wow. This is. How come all they the presses, the review, didn't play UMDs. Facts. Were you, you know? were you wearing your windbreaker pants when you went into this game? I might have broken away right to shorts when I went in. <laughs> you just left the <laughs> bottom half outside of GameStop. Yeah, right? You like the speed stripes, don't you? That's your favorite part. <laughs> and you probably bought into that cockamamie GameStop membership too while you're there. Get, yeah, I, I wonder yeah. how. I, I read that article and they said that you're not going to be able to download your comics after a certain day. Yeah, you would be able to uh, back up your comics via this media to go system. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice that they're giving you a way to archive your comics so you can read them at a later date. But as of like January, you won't be able to download any of the ones you own from your cloud. Anyway, that's it. You download them now and archive them, or else. That's cockamamie. That's like the one bad thing about digital. Yeah. If I bought it, I own it. Period. End of the day. I right. don't care if you invest in it or not, but. I want to be able to read that days, weeks, months later. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking about comics right. with my friends and I didn't read whatever issue you guys read of The Walking Dead, 
I can talk about that issue I read 15 years ago like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, really, that's kind of the murky water with all this stuff, whether it's, you know, Amazon streaming for your purchase, your digital purchases, you know, my Prometheus HD that I haven't watched yet on Amazon. Amazon closed its doors for some odd reason. I'm screwed. I have to I have to archive it onto my PSP. When's somehow. that happening? Though? When's Amazon closing its no, doors? No, it's just an example. Never. In fact, you they're know. opening a lot more new doors in the new year. <laughs> you heard it here first. NDA, NDA. All the stores. You need to cool out right now. You're like sweating saying it. You're popping through your windbreaker pants over here. Yeah, you are. Well, a lot of people ask From about front. A lot of people ask what Comicsology like. What happens with Comicsology goes out of business? Irrelevant, right? I you know that. The layman's the layman's explanation is we obviously don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean it's. There's I actually attended like a, a town hall at last year's New York Comic Con with, uh, and somebody brought that up to the David of Comicsology, mm-hmm. and I mean it's like it or not. David's answer was, you know, we're basically at this point we don't see ourselves shuttering. If we do, somebody would buy us and continue the service. But it's, uh, I mean, it's its a fear that people have. Sure. I remember that. I was there with you. That guy was angry. Yeah. yeah well. I think he had a few, like, follow-up questions. Well, those, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a good question. But yeah. For me, I think I'm so used to buying digital media that it's not something I think about. And I have a, right. thousand, I have a thousand bucks on my own Comixology account, and it's not something I, like, think about at night. Obviously, I work there. Wow. So I, you know, I think about your Comixology library. Right? I look up your library every day. I check to see what you're I reading. I know you do. But, I mean, I, turtle sale. I'm there... You know, I Sweet, work. Wasn't it? I work for the company, and I just know mm-hmm. what our day-to-day operations are like. You know, it's not it's not something that's going to happen in the next ever. I mean, yeah, but like, look at the f- look. You know, the the fact of the new readership and how many people are buying comics. They're not as the the majority of the people aren't as apprehensive as the ones who care about owning your own right. You know, the Will Wheatons of the world or whatever. It's a sm- it's a, I think my theory is that it's the same percentage of the people that care about backing up their books are the same people that want DRM stripped and like they want to back up their books. They don't want DRM, but I mean it's it's a it's a small percentage of people. It's the same mm-hmm. people that want like. Um, they they use Android. No, uh, sure. They I mean they want they want um, they want the DR, they want no DRM on their books. And this is uh, this is a panel that I don't think you were at, but David had a good e- example. Like you, yeah, we could either do DRM free books, um, or the, have DRM and also have Marvel and DC. So like if we do DRM books, we'll lose Marvel and DC. Right, and like that's, that's the facts into, of life. You know, s- Slammy the PDF reader who you know. <laughs> What is Slammy would be the name of the app? Uh, like, so if you buy uh, an Xbox movie, you can only buy you can only watch that on your Xbox. Like, you can't download that and and play it on your iPhone. Right. So, like, digital rights management. Got it. Um, but I mean, the the big thing with Comicsology too is that we care about like the consumer experience is like what we're pretty hardcore about, and the consumer experience of downloading PDFs. All thanks to you. And. Right. <laughs> And reading that in a in an app that you need to pay for, that's a crappy experience. Nobody want we don't we don't want that for customers, and nobody wants that. Like, right. yeah, let's let's make PDFs downloadable, and you can't use our own app. You, you have to buy another app. Who the heck wants to do that? Nobody. I mean, completely agree. Hands yeah. raised right here, bud. I think the other kind of mindset of people who think about that are the people who have been burned in the which media is going to dominate the market mm-hmm. first. There's people who went HD DVD instead of Blu-ray. That was me. Right. I remember you backing it. It's one of the few technological times 
I ever recall you being wrong. Ever. I was very wrong. And I, I was like so hardcore into Xbox and I got the HD DVD player. I was buying the movies. And then there was at the same time where like the studios were split between the PS, their mm-hmm. Blu-ray and HD DVD. And I was like, oh, this is not looking too good. So well, I sold my player. It was a, it was a better product. Let's be honest. Which was HD, HD DVD. It was, but great. It, it didn't have the backing. It did not have the backing, but it was definitely. It was a superior technology. Absolutely, had better cases. They were red. Cases were red. Definitely, DVD was in the title. I don't understand how it never took off. (laughs) It literally doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Blu-ray was sexy. What an easy transition. Mm -hmm. Blu-ray with the DVD, the HD DVD. I had Casino on HD DVD. I had Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. I showed it to my dad, and he almost like had a heart attack watching it. Man, it was great. So they use them as like coasters now. I don't even think they do them with that. You can buy them for like thirty cents on eBay right now. HD DVDs to do what with? To watch them. Those people, those burn lovers, are the ones who watch everything with a raised eyebrow going, all right, what happens if you leave me and yeah. I dropped all this cash on comiXology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah right. I, I totally get that people are like that. I get people that don't buy from comiXology because they, they want something that's stripped of DRM. I mm-hmm. get it, but at the end of the day, we have to think about what's best for the regular Joe. I just like the fact that they never get the answer they're looking for when they ask the question. They, I just love they, to see them get tortured. They they, <laughs> they, get, they ask, and they they pretty much know what their follow-up response is going to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. They've it's, already made their mind it's up. It's like they're getting into the ring, and they're tightening their boxing gloves. Right. Like, there's no knockout punch right. for just, that comic style she can give. Exactly. But what a new segment. Could be the best one ever. Wow, we just had that yeah. out, huh? Dan Rather mm. of Mia's. I'll D- start with that old PSP <laughs> review of mine. <laughs> Nerdcast.org. Check it out. We, uh, we're actually running out of tape. That's actually oh it man. for the news segment. Sign so drop that down. Running out of tape. Next to the last news, news segment, that's all you got. I people. hope it was a good one. Yeah. Uh, we read comics every day, not together. We read them separately. You know, I'm in the bathroom with my son. We're just hanging out. He's trying to drink the bleach. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> confounded. Uh, let's talk about some comics. Jonesy loves himself. What did you read this week? Ultimate. Comics, The Ultimates, number 16. Ooh, you read that? You heard about this? I have. Boy heard I've heard the buzz. Guess who's the new president, the new POTUS, if you will? Who? Captain Stephen Rogers. No way. A.K.A. Captain America. You know, in the Ultimate Universe, um, the U.S. has been splintered into many territories. Wow. Uh, after Reed Richards pretty much brought the world down around you know his ears. Uh, the U.S. kind of split up. So Captain America has been defying the old president and kind of fighting for all Americans, as he sees it. Like, he was ordered to stay out of California because it was a Republican state, but he went to to the eight of the Californians anyway. So um, he, one of the conversations that he has gets broadcasted live, and the presidential election pretty much landslides right in for Captain America. So he becomes uh, the president. And, uh, you know, the bureaucrats are like, yo, Cap, you know, move into the White House. Let's get you some suits. Let's talk at a table. Mm-hmm. And Cap's like, uh, listen here, that's what it got us in trouble in the first place. I'm going to go fight. So uh, he goes out and he, he goes about single handedly rebanding the United States back together. That's pretty dope. Yeah, you know, invading local. Uh, States like I, I want to say like Michigan or whatever, mm-hmm. being like, "Yo, Governor Michigan, 
you're gonna be in the Classic U.S. Governor. again. And then there's uh, the old head of Shield, the uh, the scumbag who's the head of Shield is like, we're just gonna get the predicament. He's not a puppet. We need a puppet. This guy is too hard to control. So he goes to uh, kill him. Wrong. Only, only Cap, the one step ahead of him, flies through a building in a Harrier jet, as you know presidents are wont to do. Absolutely. And, uh, and basically just, you know, installs himself as also the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And just kicks He's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. too. He just, he's the POTUS. I think, who does he make? He makes, is it Sharon Oh, he makes, Carter? he makes Carol Danvers. Okay. The was, new the, head of S.H.I.E.L.D. There was so much that happened in this issue. It felt like Humphreys wrapped up like three years worth of Hickman storylines in yeah. one issue. Yeah, it was balls to the wall nonstop. And uh, the the scene where he busted through the the window wasn't of that amazing? Shield and he like karate kicked this guy in the chest. He was he, he wasn't even Dale. Look at me. He <laughs> wasn't even <laughs> he wasn't even flying this jet. He was straddling it. What? Like the nose. Like he had one leg on the steering rod, like on the other leg. It, out. it literally didn't even. Make it. He was on the tip of the jet as it goes through a window, and then karate kicked the guy. And like as I was reading it, I was like, "This is intense." So he po- he pointed the jet at the building, put it on autopilot, and then crawled put, out. Kept his foot on the steering rod, and then the, the other foot rod. In, ki- in kicking position. Basically, so, he used the jet to kick. Is that what they're called in jets? Steering rod. Steering rod. You're here first. <laughs> Aeronautical uh, engineer loves beer. Steering rod <laughs> genealogist <laughs> over here. But yeah, that issue was crazy. And I remember I read an interview where Humphrey said that Humph- or, uh, Hickman, Hickmania pretty much gave him his outline for like the next few years of Ultimates and said, you know, do what you want. But you may not want to, I guess, start your run with a big thing. I can't remember if he said that or not, but he pretty much did it anyway. I mean, was this his first issue? No, he's no. he's been like co-writing and writing for uh-huh. a few singles. Okay. But I'd be interested to see how far into this storyline Hickman wanted him to be president and what else happened. I mean, I I don't read any mo- pretty much none of the Ultimates universe stuff, but I got the direction they're going in I think is pretty ballsy and pretty great. I give them props for uh, just completely taking this Ultimate universe into a, another level completely. Yeah, there was one big reveal. I guess I'll spoil it because what are you going to do? Not download <laughs> episode 75. He's <laughs> not uh, going to listen to us. But anyway, um uh, Thor is under the impression that Loki is back in because this is kind of the same thing that happened uh, at the beginning of the Ultimates Volume 2 where uh, mm. or but even the end of Volume 1 where Thor gets kidnapped and Loki is really you know behind mm-hmm. the scenes gotcha but uh, it's revealed that it's not Loki it's Thor's son Modi who has the hammer and was like dad I'm here to kick your A to be continued da, da, da. Mm. Modi mm. Modi, it's pretty neat. Um, Mark Farrington, God bless. TV star, bat enthusiologist. <laughs> enthusiologist, <laughs> how is he? Just coining words right now. Hashtag. You are uh, one of the stars of Yes Hello TV. Is that correct? That is correct. You guys just had like a big show. You guys ran out of theater. All your all your fans came. It was the one My year other, anniversary. Other went. Ran in, ran, <laughs> bleh, rented out. Amber Theater, and then celebrated for some beer over at Forest Main Brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, good show, good turnout. I have been off panel because they have been shooting commercials for a pizzeria chain in New York City. Get that? I just couldn't make the trip, so I got to bow am I, out. Am I going to be frequenting this pizza place when I move up there? You know what? You drop by and let Spoilers. me know how it is. Spoilers. Can, I, can I drop awesome. a few names and get a free free pie? See what I can do. 
Thank you. That means no. But I'll see what I can do. What are you reading right now? I read a handful <laughs> of bat books. I'm going to talk about Red Hood and the Outlaws. Oh, zero yeah. month. Mm. To those who don't remember, August was... No, September was zero month for DC, the new 52. Mm. Mm. When they jumped ahead one year or five years in the stories, they didn't tell origins. Oh, so they gosh. took the month out of September to tell the origins of some of our favorite characters. I've never been so conflicted in my comic book reading life. Some of wow. them were great. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> some of them infuriated me. The Bat Books ticked me off to the highest point of festivity. Wow. you heard it here first, folks. Red Hood and the Outlaws tells the origin of Jason Todd, familiar story that we've all known about the renegade Robin. He was orphaned at a young age. He grew up in a not-so-nice neighborhood. He ran into the Batman while committing a crime. He wound up getting taken home by Batman because he felt sorry for him. He recently lost his original partner. He decides this kid's going to be his next Robin. Mm. Jason has a little bit of a mean streak. Jason doesn't listen. Jason gets benched because Bruce can't trust him in the field. He runs off to go find his mother. And turns out mom is working for Joker. Joker beats him to death with a crowbar. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is all deja vu. Yeah, it sounds kind of familiar, it's all coming it? back to me now. Yeah. But what Scott Lobdell decided to do was he decided to make the Joker responsible for everything bad in Jason Todd's life. Jason, The Joker is the reason why Jason Todd's father got locked away, which put him on the path of protecting his mother. The Joker is the reason why a random act of violence killed, a seemingly random act of violence killed Joker. Jason Todd's mom. The Joker is somehow knew that Jason was Robin and beat him to death so he could mess with Batman and put him on the path of being the Red Hood. I'm not inferring this. This is all told in a backup story narrated by the Joker. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. are so many holes and plots in this. It's not even creative. It's not even remix. It's just garbage. Can I tell you something right now? Shoot. Loved it. Wow. I loved Mark's, this. Mark's face right now. Mark just pinched a loaf. I could. Kiss I will him. not be on episode I seventy-five. Love. <laughs> you never notice he never uh, never poops himself at your house. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I I kind of don't want a rehash of Romulus. the same stories that we all know. I mean, at that point, who are they appeasing besides the hardcore fans? Right. I did like that it was the Joker did all this just so this kid would become Batman's ward and Robin and then just to kill him to get back at Batman. I thought that was I thought it was genius. Does the Joker now know who Batman is cuz he knew who Jason Todd was. He knew Jason Todd was Robin. Well, he didn't know he he did not assume that Jason Todd would become Bruce Wayne's ward. I don't think that ever became public. Right. But he did know that Batman would take in this kid and become Robin. He still didn't know Batman's secret identity. The, yeah, but it's look- not a, it's not a long leap. Why would it be a leap? Because he knew that Jason Todd was going to be picked up by Batman. So he knew he would, if he could figure out who Jason Todd was, you know, running around with that night, why couldn't he figure out, backtrack to, wait a minute, Jason Todd's adopted father is Bruce Wayne. Did they say that in in the backup story? I am flipping through. Keep telling me what you think. I don't. I think he could have made Jason Todd become Batman's new partner without thinking that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Fact. Yeah. The one thing I didn't like about the story, Jonesy just sighed, I want to drink, uh, is that they 
change Jason Todd's mother from being a psychopath into just a regular woman. She was crying when Jason Todd was being beat to death. Instead of smoking a cigarette, Instead of smoking a cigarette <laughs> it's and just the turning her face. Probably the best decision Scott Lobdell could have ever made. <laughs> he was probably sick about the, the death in the family. Yeah, probably heard a review and uh, agreed. Right. Joker was watching... Scott, email us. Please. Yeah, right? Joker was watching the funeral with Bruce, Alfred, Barbara, and whoever... After he killed Jason. And then he... Where's the panel? Where's the panel Joker watching the funeral? Right there in the binoculars. Right at the bottom of the You can't see their faces. Page. Look, there's 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 dots of water on everyone's face. Scott You're a man. That's the best you can do. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Can you see their faces through that binoc, Euler? Joker's a genius. He can just go backtrack. He can go watch them drive off. I, first of all, I commend Scott Lobdell. Scott Lovedell's a new maestro in town. Whoa. Whoa. My God. There's Jonesy just pinched one right now. <laughs> there's a lot in the Bat books they change with the Zero. Tim Drake isn't Tim Drake anymore. He didn't figure out who Batman was. He's got parents, which shatters was, his origin. And he was never Robin. He was, he was Red Robin. He was never a Robin. Damian Wayne. Whoa, whoa. What Zero issue was that? Teen Titans. I didn't read it. Damian Wayne is... Batman started his career six years ago. Damian Wayne is 10 years old, and he became Batman five years later, and somehow Damian has a cape and cowl of Bruce's. Like, Yeah, the five-year five thing screwed them all up for Batman's, because Batman has so much like yeah. kid baggage right. that yeah, it there was, was impossible a, to do it. There was a huge article on one of the websites about you know just how everybody's timelines are all off, mm-hmm. like fitting in Barbara Gordon, that whole... The, the killing thing. joke thing. Can yeah. we go back day. to what happened to Tim Drake? Tim Drake was Fill an Olympic-level athlete. Jonesy, who's Tim Drake? Nobody knows this Tim Wait Drake. Wait a minute. Am I I'm having a stroke? Do I smell burnt toast? <laughs> go ahead. So <sighs> Tim Drake is not Robin. Was never Robin. Tim Drake was an, like an aspiring Olympian, and Bruce Dumb. was scoping him out. Like he was Dumb. checking him out. Pretty much running recon. Like, hey, Alfred taps him on the shoulder. He goes, Yo, he might make a good Robin. No, no, I'm over it. I'm done. I've been burned. No, I don't want it. <laughs> Are you like, sure? That's like ninety year old Batman. Ah, so that's Ro- that a, Roscoe that a... Jenkins Batman. <laughs> so basically, Batman leads him down a fake trail just to test how smart he is to check his detective skills, and he cuts the mustard and he becomes Red Robin. He doesn't become a Robin. He doesn't do the oh, full blown sidekick thing. I don't like it. I didn't like it either. They, the, the whole idea of Batman taking on young young sidekicks is still the silliest thing ever in any of these That's books. That's the bottom line. I mean, uh, oh my god! So he's not a Robin. It's it's uh, it's the new Fifty Two. That old stuff never happened. You they should have I mean? just made Tim the Drake, new Fifty Two. They should have just never made him a character. <laughs> yeah. They why bother think about that? Why bother just taking my be favorite Robin away? If Tim Drake didn't even exist, sadly, I'd be better with that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to step away because I hear what you're saying, Dale, and I don't know if this is me griping because it's not my Batman and Robin. Yeah, or I mean, I see what the old heads are saying, you know. I definitely... Part of this is killing me from a quality standpoint, but... Well, there's that, too. Well, and, and still, the whole factor that Batman's supposed continuity is not the same as the other 50 books other than Green Lantern. Like, it's just... There's that whole issue, too. Right. There's... In the DC Universe number zero, you learn that Batman built Brother Eye. 
So if he built Brother Rye, does that mean identity crisis happened, an infinite crisis happened? And it just raises a bunch of strings that DC, if I were to ask them, they'd say, hey, wait and see, we've got a plan. Dan Slott with One More Day and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, I believe they had a plan. I believe the Spider-Man re- reboot offices had a plan. This just feels like they're shooting from the hip, like, eh, we could shoehorn that in, or that'll fit, or nobody really cares about that detail. Mm-hmm. And I could be overthinking this, but I shouldn't be able to sit here and slowly pull apart a bat universe just by asking a simple question. Let's move on to something even more depressing. Yeah. Wolverine by Jeff Loeb and Simon Bianchi. You guys reading this? Romulus. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. And Remus, his sister. What? His sexy, scantily clad sister. Who looks like a female Wolverine? Re- with red hair and everything, so yeah. Wolverine wants to do her? Yes, that old John. What? Um, last issue they revealed, possibly, that Weapon X and Wolverine's joining it was his idea. Get out of here. Get out of here. I almost pooed John when I read that. Uh, so this issue, they go back into the Weapon X uh, flashbacks. We all read Weapon X by Barry Windsor Smith, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yep. We did it for the show. What? Didn't we? Did we not? No, we didn't. No, we never did that. Continuing on. Sorry, that's that burnt toast that came back. Uh, so they show the flashbacks. Romulus says that uh, it was his idea. So they show flashbacks of uh, Romulus, Sabretooth, and Wolverine and Remus going to the Weapon X facility and uh, deciding, you know, this is going to be a great moment for Wolverine. This is where you this is where you ascend to become something greater. And he's like, are you ready, Wolverine? And he's like, yeah, bub. <laughs> he's like, I want you to have this sword. <laughs> Logan Sand. <laughs> so, Take this so Wolverine gives the Moramasa blade to Romulus to have. What? So he gives that up because he's going to have something even better once the Weapon X program is done. So then they show scenes of uh, the pr- the professor, remember the bald uh, guy that was running the show, mm-hmm. and Romulus talking with Remus. Not Xavier? No, not Xavier. The guy no, that Wolverine liked. No, he had like glasses. And oh, oh, okay, yeah. okay. I know so what you're talking about. So they're having a discussion, and so Romulus is the guy running Weapon X program. He's the guy behind the scenes. And then they, they Remus has had a love affair with Wolverine, and she's she had a second heart. She's like a second. Uh, what do you call that? Second change of heart. Change of heart. I don't know. Change of heart. And she's like, all right, ended. He, you know, he doesn't want this. He's just doing this for different reasons. So he, he's like, oh, get out of here, Remus. And then he tells the professor, he's like, wipe everything from his memory so he doesn't remember every, anything about this, about our time together or his time with Remus. So apparently, that was the whole reveal that he knew about it going in, which doesn't make any sense because even in the Weapon X storyline in Marvel Presents, he's just some guy at a bar that gets beaten up and taken into it mm-hmm. that erases all of that. Um, but it's stupid because in this story, they they drop nuggets of Wolverine second-guessing everything. He's like, Romulus is a big liar. This is all trick. You know, I don't know if I should believe this or not. Um, incidentally, in Weapon X, if you reread it, there is a shadowy figure that calls the professor in a secret room and gives him orders. So that was a thread that Windsor Smith made uh, early on. It was he in the interviews. He said it was supposed to be Apocalypse, mm. but now they're able to uh-huh. just say maybe it was Romulus. It's junk. 
FYI. Wasn't this whole storyline supposed to be about how Sabretooth came back? Yeah. It's just Jeff Loeb. I don't know what, I don't know what he's doing with Wolverine. He should stay away from him. I recently let a buddy borrow Superman Batman my run, mm-hmm. and his son had an untimely passing during the course of that run, Jeff Loeb's in real time. And sadly, that's the exact point where his writing just started to go downhill. Yeah, This Ultimates 3, Wolverine, both times he did it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't fault Jeff Loeb for anything. If that happened to me, I, I, I wouldn't be writing comics to tell you that much. Probably dead. I told my wife that. If anything ever happens, then I'm killing myself. That's no pressure on her. <laughs> okay, welcome to Paper Keg episode <laughs> right. seventy-four. I think we talked about that in a show, didn't I? We did between shows. <laughs> in between shows, I, it had to be episode seventy. Mark asked me, so have you ever thought about if you ever had to choose between your wife and your unborn child? <laughs> Does that sound like, like something I would random, say? Yeah, you yeah, said what? it. Yeah, I think I remember we that. We should have recorded that conversation. But yeah, no, did, we shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, suicide, listen, okay. it's not something we want to talk about on this show. Obviously, I was kidding, guys. I wouldn't hey. do that. Stop shaking your head, yeah. Guys, Dale underscore A, VP of making sure I don't kill myself. What did you read this week? It's my number one priority. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I read because I just performed a <laughs> lobotomy. Nicely <laughs> 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 done. It would have been uh, much funnier before all the sibling murder, family <laughs> murder talk. Uh, continuing on the train to Downersville, <laughs> Ghost Number Zero, Kelly Sue. Phil Nioto. <laughs> I just Ghost Number Zero is a terrible book <laughs> about I don't know. So the cover's really cool. There's this woman in all white, and it's understood that she's a ghost of some kind. So cue to the uh, first page: two guys who uh, are very unlikable. One is supposed to be dirt baggier than the other. Mm. I don't know which one is which, though. Vaughn is one of their names. They do this uh, kind of like um, Ghost Hunters type TV show where they they film in these uh, abandoned locations and they try to capture ghosts on film and stuff like that. I love it. <clears throat> well, out of the blue, one of the, one of the hosts of the show buy this device, this new machine that they try to, like, conjure ghosts with, like it's going to help call the ghosts. And it, 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 there's no explanation where this little box comes from. They start fiddling with the box. This woman in white appears. Is she naked? She's the ghost. She's in white. Mm. Woman in white. And then she disappears, and they're like, whoa, what just happened? And then they uh, are back at Vaughn's apartment, and they're playing with that box. Oh, Vaughn's in his apartment, and he has the box. And the woman appears again. And then the other co-host is, like, shoved through the door with two, like, gangsters. Because apparently the other host who bought this machine bought it when it should have never been, should have never been for sale to begin with. Like, so there's no explanation as to what this box still is. And now it's not even supposed to be for sale. Like, whoever sold it to him... The the guy who it belonged to wants it back. So uh, they kill. Spoilers. Well, they try to kill uh, them. 
the the one bad guy leaves and the other bad guy's like, "All right, I'll clean this up. You just go on, get out of here and take this box back to, you know, back to the boss." And he's getting ready to execute him and the woman, the uh the ghost woman like puts her hand through the bad guy's chest and like rips out his heart. Mm. And and then basically these two bad guys are left or these two awful people they're i guess they're the good guys but they're not nice or likable um they're left to clean up the mess of the dead body and they're left trying i guess the mission is gonna they're gonna try to figure out who this lady is and i i still i'm confounded because no no one character you can get behind and root for so i don't really care about this woman other than the fact i'm intrigued that she pulled the beating heart out of a man's chest did Phil Noto do the interiors too? Yeah. Where's he at the time, that guy? And the two guy and funny enough, like your big spiel, the two guys who are the main they look alike other than their hairstyle. Hmm. They look exactly alike, so I don't know who's who half the time. Mm-hmm. Um I had high hopes for this series. It's been touted like, oh, Ghost is coming back. Apparently this was a property before. And all I know is that the the character that's carried through from the old comics is this woman in white. But uh, so far, she doesn't really speak. She does say she's hungry in a panel, and he has he has to get her a hot dog. Oh, yeah. But, you know. Like that kind <laughs> Air of hot quotes. Hot, yeah. Read the we're Bible. We're supposed to talk about books that we want people to try and read, and we're, we've been negative, except for Jonesy for the first time ever. We can't pander, though. Jonesy is usually the we one that talks yeah, we, about, like, Dakin we 70 honest. that he's reading to, like... <laughs> Make himself miserable. <laughs> yeah, we haven't gotten those lightning round yet. Mm. It's probably a terrible book. <sighs> Speaking of which, we're running out. We're running way late. We're going in overtime. Wow. We need to talk about lightning rounds. Go. Two sentences or less. A book you read. Jonesy loves beer. Spider Man, issue five of five. A slow but fitting end. To one of the great minis of the last 10 years. How about that cliffhanger, y'all? Is that appropriate? Hmm. New Avengers number 30. Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist escort a fallen member of the Phoenix Five to prison. Luke Cage must answer a burning question of what's more important being a father and husband, or an Avenger. Extreme Justice, number one. It's 1992. Extreme Justice League. Extremely awful. Demon Knights, number zero. Merlin the Wizard is the son of Lucifer. They both have problems that are solved by combining the two problems into Jason Blood and Etrigan, the rhyming demon. We should make the lightning round have to be read in a haiku. Haiku, haiku, haiku round. We'd get two more lines, though. 
a contract with God. Will Eisner, legend. Legend living no longer. <laughs> Jonesy loves <laughs> Jonesy loves beer. Lay it down for the folk that have not read this book. I'm not going to ramble on this one because I don't want to desecrate this beautiful work by rambling on. Thank you. So very succinctly, The Contract with God is a, or is the first graphic novel collecting four vignettes, mostly autobiographical of Will Eisner himself. The title, graphic novel, A Contract with God, is the story of a young Jewish boy who faced with a tough life in younger years, actually on our stone makes his contract with God an agreement if he's good, he'll have a good life. And it tells the story of the tragedy and what happens when that agreement is not held up. I'm getting nervous right now. I'm done. That's it. Because there are actually four stories. I said did four you, vignettes. Did you read the third? The other three? Yes, I read all three. Okay. All four. Okay. Then the other three. I was starting to sweat it. No, but I didn't want to do my thing where I ramble on. Because okay. a four-story slim, we could have been here all night. Could have been. Um, the My first introduction to Will Eisner is my dad used to read The Spirit back in the day. Love The Spirit. Hmm. Uh, he's got some old print versions of that book. So he was a big Will Eisner fan uh, when I was growing up. So that's that was my first introduction to his work. Um. The st- his style of work remind me reminds me a lot of Joe Kubert, a lot of the way a lot of his artwork. But um, this was big in in terms of graphic novel. It's not really a comic, and it's not really a novel. It's it's like a really cool mixture of text and narration in between. You know, drawings. Really, it's not like you know eight panel book. Um, I thought I love this format. I love the format of this, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it a graphic novel because that's what it is. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like that term because it demeans comics. But um, the first story um, was kind of a uh, a parallel to his life where he lost his daughter. So this this rabbi, you know, adopts a, a girl is dropped on his doorstep. So he decides to raise her, and uh, she's ill, and then she dies when she was. Uh, I can't. I didn't write down the phrase, but. There was a really me- a metaphor that he used that I tried to figure out how old she was, but uh, so this changes his perception of how his relationship what was with his God. So he he then changes from being this you know trustworthy rabbi to selling the bonds that his synagogue had given him to trust, and he buys like nearby areas and becomes kind of like a businessman with the money because everything went poorly for him, and then over the course of his money-making life he looks back and you know on that moment is that that was the change in his life and it ends uh where he tries to rekindle and get back in his good graces at the last minute what did you think of the story the first book dale um i thought it was i thought i mean i i I was really entertained i thought that what he set out to accomplish and, you know, I always keeping in mind that this was never done before. 
like Will Eisner did this unprecedented with no this was a, an ex, an experiment on his end and it it was a way of telling a serious semi or a serious story like this was something from his past drawn together from old memories and it was you know a serious situation put into graphic format i mean i really liked it it was a pr- it was a pretty heavy story probably uh, the I, I don't know it's like it's a heavy story and i i almost said the heaviest of all the stories but that might that's not true at all i think they all share share equal weight they're pretty heavy in the tone of what actually happens i but the style of the book makes it like an easier read mm-hmm. like maybe it's the uh the imagery, like the very uh, caricature-ish people, um, or the the style of his dialogue, it's heavy, but it's not like super depressing. Mm-hmm. I mean, but th- it should be. Um, but I th- I thought like with knowing what I know. And I read reading the fo- he did like a foreword his own foreword of the book and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's really astounding. Yeah, the uh, he talks about uh, his daughter Alice. My only daughter Alice died of leukemia eight years before the publication of this book. My grief was still raw. My heart still bled. In fact, I could not even bring myself to discuss the loss. Uh, I made Hirsch's daughter an adopted child, but his anguish was mine. His argument with God was also mine. I exercised my rage at a deity that I believe violated my faith and deprived my lovely 16-year-old child of her life at the very very flowering of it. This is the first time in 34 years that I've openly discussed it. So this was like his... um, It's like therapy or something. Yeah, this is like his therapeutic uh, moment about that loss. And I I had almost forgot... I've had the hardcover for years, but I had forgotten like how the story went and how he kind of turned his back on him and became this like other person. But I thought it was, I don't think it was the most, it was emotionally powerful, but I actually thought um, the third one, the super, I guess oh, we can yeah. get to that. That one. Yeah, we'll get to yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. Same. I, I can't say that, I don't, because uh, I still want to say some things about the first book, but yeah. to jump ahead to the super, that I, I'm speechless. Like I, like, that's so depressing. Like I'm assuming all the listeners have read this book, but how depressing is the super? It's it was it's still like, like it's so, uh, it's it very depressing. The uh, well, we we'll get to, we'll get to the super. So I wanted to hear your your thoughts on the first story. I think what's great about this story, what really leads you as a reader is waiting for redemption. Because I think we see how good a character uh, Froome can be, you know, and the love that he has for his daughter. And when it goes wrong and he kind of goes off the rails, I think all of us can see where maybe we could, to a degree, go off the rails if something like that happened. Mm Mm-hmm. But we all, as people, want redemption. So we're waiting for him to feel redemption in the story. And the lesson that Eisner teaches us is that 
we he were he's searching for a new contract like we would be searching for somebody to make life make sense or make fair. Mm-hmm. You know, we want that fairness back in our lives. Something was taken from us, so we want to guarantee that will never happen again. And guess what? And all the time he wasted trying to get that feeling back, by the time he thought he had it, he was dead. Right. So it kind of te- it kind of teaches you the story of if you're gonna if you wait for something to happen, it's you'll die waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to you to make your own mm-hmm. happiness, no matter what, no matter what gets thrown at you. That's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. Right. Like it's a beautiful story. The way I view, the way I kind of saw it was like he made the contract with God, right? But God. I mean, God did make the contract with him in so many words. Like, he just was going on the assumption that the contract was, bo- you know, bonded between, yeah. you know, God and him. And even the group that he asked to make the new contract even were, like, talking about that when they were yeah. deciding if they really needed to, if they wanted to forge a new contract for him. But, I mean, one of the lines that they had was, isn't every religion in itself a contract between mm-hmm. man and God? I, I, th- I just think what I took away from it is... If you look in life for guarantees, you have to realize there are none. And if you look, if you can't be happy because you can't have guarantees, you'll die waiting to be happy. Mm-hmm. I guess is the way I want to phrase it. I mean, it's just of the four, I thought this taught the best lesson. I thought the super was by far the most, I don't know, emotionally heart wrenching and kind of compelling in that capacity. Mark Farrington, what did you think of the first first story? I hated it. <laughs> you told me right now? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a character piece. It's This book did something that a book hasn't done in a long time. It actually made me feel. I went through a T-800. lot of emotions with when I read this. The first thing off the bat I was thinking is, it's a story of why do bad things happen to good people? Because at the beginning, he was such an upstanding guy. He was a young man. He kept saying that people kept telling him he'll be blessed by God for his good deeds. So you get it. He's a stand-up, solid guy. As I kept reading it, the things that really came to mind was this reminded me a lot of Bible uh, parts of the Bible, like the book of Job where Job is just angry with God and he's screaming, like, I rue the day that I was born. You could see Hirsch. Was that his name? Hirsch? There's like Frim Hirsch. Yeah, Frim, Frim Hirsch. Hirsch. You could see him doing that when he was in the rain screaming. Um, I also, it reminded me a little bit of Moses when he was angry at God, too. Uh, this book was amazing. Like I said, it made me feel a lot, and at no point did that feeling remain constant. Um, I was angry. At times, I was angry at Hirsch. And I was angry for him because mm-hmm. I was so invested. I was sad for him. I was hurt with him. And then I was amazed by him at the end. Um, first character I've been rooting for in a long time that I wanted to see him get redeemed. And it broke my heart when he did and didn't live up to my standards. And then going back to the art, because admittedly, art isn't the first thing that I think about when I read a book. Usually art has to be this good quote unquote for me to read it. Mm. The first thing that popped into my head is you guys remember the giving tree by Shel Silverstein, the beautiful shaded pictures. Negative. If you look at it, great book, but the way that she would draw the picture, the story is 
there would be a picture shaded similarly penciled to this with the caption and the words. It was almost identical in the sense of style. Okay. Okay. And I mean, I know Shel Silverstein, the uh, oh, okay, yeah. flowers in the attic, <laughs> light in the attic, the sidewalk, something about the sidewalk. Where the sidewalk ends? And it's where the sidewalk ends. I love the minimalist approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, his style is definitely uh, unique and beautiful. He's got a way of uh, illustrating out the, in the detail in the uh, city and the and the buildings and stuff like that just by his uh, hand, just by his pencils or inks or whatever he did it in. Um, and how about that panel that um you tweeted, Slim? I think over the weekend of that single shot of Hirsch crying screaming in the rain after his daughter dies yeah well we had a contract why would you do this right i don't know i mean we we, like i don't know i wouldn't know how i'd react like if if, uh, like i was reading this and like we joke about how we have different perspectives on stuff but like if i was uh hirsch and this happened to my son at like age you know eight or 16 like good heavens you know there'd be a lot more cursing than i would do to, to just a you know a deity Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't even know. Like, what I, you know, he like pulled a complete one eighty and decided he was gonna lie for the first time. He was gonna do, you know, what's best for him to make money, and he wasn't gonna live for other people. Um, I don't. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good piece to read. How you know someone's life can change after after something like that, and and you could think about alternatives. You know how you know there are different routes you can take after something like that. And it's up to you if you want to waste your life after um, something tragic like that ha- that happens, or you know you know want to waste time and and decide to, to to go on and live on. This the death of his daughter robbed him of any and all compassion he had. He went from being the best neighbor and genuine good guy to uh, stealing from the church the bonds they entrusted for him to carry, so he could buy a building and become a real estate mogul. To kicking people out and raising their rent. Mm -hmm. It was just, I've never gone a complete 180 of really loving this guy, feeling for this guy, to hating this guy. Um, I want to actually hop into the super. The street singer and the cook, is it Cook-A-Line? 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 Cook-A-Line. The super was the most emotionally impactful, I think. It follows the guy, you know, who's... In the intro, he he talks about his super um, that lived in his area. You know, generally the super was feared and avoided and blamed for any unusual happening, real or imagined. And it follows this kind of surly guy that has his own dog that, you know, is bugged to fix everything and, you know, to to do his job. But everyone kind of takes advantage of him because they think he, he it should be him. But he's kind of surly looking and just angry, angry all the time. So he he goes into this one woman's apartment and needs to, you know, turn on the hot water and they have a little girl that he sees coming out of the shower and then he goes back to his little, his little room and, you know, he's obviously someone that lives alone, never been with a woman, so he has these pictures, all these attractive women on his wall and then the little girl comes in there and this is a really interesting piece again because of the period, so she comes in there and says, like, she'll lift her skirt for a nickel and then she, and, you know, he, he's excited about it and does it and it's interesting to read that kind of like scenario now, whereas you know that kind of situation where a little girl in a super's apartment would be like, 
you know, like, oh, my God, you know, everyone would freak out. Yeah. Right? And so she says, you know, I'll come back again. Or he says, like, come back often so that I can, <laughs> you know, I can pay you a dime next time or whatever. So she she leaves after she gives the dog something. And she also takes his money box when she leaves. So this is like a little conniving 16-year-old or 10-year-old, however old she is. And he as she, he notices this, he goes to his dog, and his dog's dead. She poisoned his dog. Um, and then he goes after her and tracks her down in the alley and is, you know, about to give her, you know, I think he brings his gun maybe. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's going to do something. But then everyone in the alley peeks out the window and see her, sees her in trouble, and then they think that, you know, what on earth is he doing to this girl? So he goes back, and the cops come after him, and and as they're barging down the door, he shoots himself while he is clutching his dog. <laughs> no, like <laughs> yeah. his only friend in the world. <laughs> it's like, I mean, literally, I just sat there looking at this page uh, with the with the dog, and I'm just like... Good God! <laughs> like Will Eisner, man. What? Like, I mean, obviously this guy was a you know he he's like I don't know I guess a troubled individual. I mean, he's paying this little girl money to for her to lift her skirt. But yeah, and I mean he's he's got it in his mind. As soon as he like sees her in the apartment and he leaves, he runs back into his bedroom that has porn all over the walls, mm-hmm. like naked women all over the walls. He's getting ready to get have it be intimate right. with himself. And I mean, it's funny. Will Eisner's work, like his spirit stuff, was like overtly racist. Like there was the char- the little character of the black kid that was the spirit's partner, um, and he, like I think Asian characters this, the same too. Um, like for the era, they were timely. But now looking back, you get a sense of how crazy things were back then. Mm-hmm. And I think he's been interviewed and says that he likes that stuff staying there because it speaks for the time. It mm-hmm. speaks for the era, um, and it's interesting to read this book. Whereas that story, that situation, would be like mind blowing now, like yeah. where this little girl goes into the oh, super's yeah. room or what have you. Um, but still, it doesn't change the way. I mean, it's such a depressing story. Like she poisoned the what? dog. Yeah, like when what? <sighs> so terrible. When Slim, uh, when that, when he first discovers the dog has been poisoned. Before he runs out after the money box, like my heart wrenched, like you, because you know that's that only guy's friend, mm-hmm. and you know he's had him since he was a pup, and probably fed him and trained him, and when he came home from his se job because everybody dumped on him, you know that was yeah, his only his his only thing. Ugh. So Did yeah. anyone else get that feeling like this is a story we could turn on the news tomorrow and see played out? Right. That's what shocked me the most, how timeless this was. I'm sure back when this was first written and published, it was even more of a jaw-dropper than it is now. But here, it's. I almost want to ask Will, did you see this one day? Did mm-hmm. this... Yeah, like how nearby. real? How real was this? Like right. you're drawing on memory to write this graphic novel. Absolutely. Was this how real was this? I mean, kill, she killed like the creativity for him to like just kill the dog out of nowhere. It's like did this little girl really kill a dog? And then make no mistake, this girl when she was backed into the alley, and the guy is approaching her with a gun, she knew she had an audience, and she just started crying. Mm-hmm. She blatantly manipulated him into being that situation. She conned him. Yeah. Plain and simple. Uh, Street Singer and Cuckaline were the other two stories. I think I like Street Singer 
more of the more of the two. Yeah, Street Singer was twist ending. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So Street Singer is uh, okay. So during the uh, during the Depression, uh, folks who were unemployed would go and basically sing in the courtyards and out in front of these tenement buildings. And you know, hope for tips like somebody might throw down a couple coins for him s- for them singing, and uh, you know the the singing would sound better because of the acoustic. So even if you were a bad singer, you'd probably be a half decent singer singing into the echoey acoustics of the apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. And uh, a woman hears the singer singing and invites him up to her room and basically says basically wants to launch his singing career and uh, she is a former singer herself she has a stage name i forget what the stage name was and uh she like all in a whirlwind this guy doesn't say a word and uh, he is basically his career as a singer is planned out she's she tips him real big and uh she more or less you know she sleeps with him like she has sex with him you know all in this chance meeting of uh setting up like he's going to be the next big thing and the two of them are going to be, be a duet and they're going to go back out on the road you know partially uh some uh selfishness there because she wants to revive her career because she's washed up and has mm-hmm. been and um as soon as he leaves the apartment after you know completing himself <laughs> uh he goes and he buys a wow. bunch of alcohol with his money and goes home to his pregnant wife and pee drunk and he's just drinking and he beats his beats his wife or his girlfriend throws their baby across yeah, the room yeah, into did. a couch forgot about that he rips the baby the baby out of the pregnant wife's arms and like threw the baby on the couch it was it was like the one way you would throw a baby doll like it was pretty i i my butt cheeks clenched when he did that <laughs> and he smacks her around and then uh the next morning the uh, you could see the damage in the relationship because that's just another night for them because he's sobered up he's apologizing mm-hmm. she's okay with it and uh He's supposed to go back to the uh, tenement and to the room where this lady was so they could start planning his career. And he was so pee drunk at the time, he doesn't even remember where she lives. And that's the, that's the end of that. Another depressing one. Another <laughs> cheerful tale <laughs> Yeah, for Will Eisner. I thought it was funny how the woman like was telling him about her husband or her ex-husband was a deadbeat that like got drunk and beat him and this guy like didn't say a word the whole time and then he goes home and he's like the the worst guy ever and I didn't there was even, a baby across a room I didn't even put that I didn't think about that part of the story but yeah that's that's yeah like yeah. so totally serves him right for not being able to find this place <laughs> yeah absolutely like he she was totally she was just so caught up in the revival of her career and making like being his manager that uh she didn't stop to see the real him or what he was like at all. I mean, he, he didn't say a word. It was a great sequence because he didn't say a word, and she's having a conversation with him, and then she, you know, lets him be inside of her, and, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, my God. And without him saying a word, and he leaves. The cook line one was weird. Well, not weird, but, I mean, it was a different story where, like, all these people that work together go on a vacation to like this commune almost yeah like they're like <laughs> shore, sex it was commune. like a sh- it was like a shore house but just like not near a shore um 
It was like dirty. It was like dirty dancing in the Depression era. Like that's the feeling I got. Yeah, definitely. Except when the dirty dancing where everybody's doing each other, more or less. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That's the yeah. Dirtier. Forcefully or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Both. Well, some kind of odd some some rape. There were there were some some smacking around and. How about the older like, woman to young man rape in a hayloft? Like, I guess we don't have to go over the entire story, but the scene where the husband gets word that his wife is doing some shenanigans at this getaway, so he goes there and finds her, like, seducing a 15-year-old boy. And his reaction is like, should have known it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, right. but not only that, he slaps her, and he's like, you're not getting enough from me at home. Right. And then and so she, she get, weasels her way out of it. We're like, all right, let's have sex right now. Show me how it's done in front of this 15-year-old boy. In front boy. of the 15-year-old boy. <laughs> And so, then she, then he carries her off, yeah, to go back to the room. That was, I mean, intense. How about later on in that book where the little boy and little girl are in bed together, and the little girl under the sheets grabs his pee pee, and <laughs> he's like, "What are you doing? That's my pee pee." Yeah, she said, what? That's that's what grown ups do. No, it's not. So they go outside and hide in the bushes, and they watch one of the guys rape a guest. Uh huh. R, I think R. Yeah, can we say R? Yeah, R is R. I think R hard R's are. I don't know if we can R- say that R. either. <laughs> are we pirates uh, now? It's like passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean that. I mean, there was a great. I thought it was a great story because of the scene. You know, it, it comes. It boils down to the effect. You know, something like that can have on a fifteen-year-old boy. You know, he witnesses, there was a great, I think it was like four great panels where the 15-year-old boy stays in the loft where the husband and wife are, A, fighting, and then B, have sex right in front of him. Yeah, and he's like against the window, scared. Yeah, Uh, and then he takes that all in, and then the, the final part of the story is everyone going back to their lives, talking about what happened, you know, the chick that was hard ard. Yeah, ends up is going to marry the doctor that really wanted to 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 meet her and fall in love with her that helped her after the attempted R and then they show the 15 year old like going back to his life talking and his parents are talking about his future and he's just kind of you know looking out into the city looking out into his future looking out you know about tr- what transpired and he's just you know still taking it all yeah, in he's, and he's about just it. like puzzled he's completely lost in thought about what he's like what what world am i getting into yeah what what world am i what, yeah exactly right yeah like his mom is basically saying you know your dad's not going to be available this uh this winter because you know you th- you know she tells him he's going to be away on sales calls but really she worked out with the husband that he's got a girlfriend and he's going to be away I forgot about that yeah you know giving yeah. it to her yeah where she's like you know i'm old but you know and, and i'm tired and i and you know my life is at this point, but we're not going to get divorced. We can't do that to the kids. Right. So if you need to go be with this woman, go and get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah. Because she's much. not in the mood anymore. She's That's permanently. How it works. permanently what, what, what year of the marriage does that happen? Can yeah. anyone? <laughs> Why you exit <laughs> off the calendar till that day comes? Yeah, let me talk to the Will Eisner estate to see how long that yeah. that, that gets into. Um, I thought. I mean, I thought it was great. I thought every story was great. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's great. I like some more than others, but I thought that the first story was so good, it's well worth the price of admission for everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this, when you think about it, there are very few total masterpiece works in the world of comics, especially when you take away the superhero aspect out of it. 
and this is truly, I think, like the first graphic novel and top five things I've ever read across any medium. You know, printed novel, whatever, television, like top five, anything wow. I've ever read. That's that's pretty great. That Accolades right there on the Jonesy chart. Man. Yeah, I think. Um, I was thinking, like, I really enjoyed the story and the the fact that this is the first one. Like, everything that come after is based upon the structure of what Will Eisner executed in this a contract with God. Um, I was thinking that the uh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Like, I don't. I'm not a writer. I'm not an artist. I I don't form thoughts in my head that would make like good stories. I just feel like that's a, that part of my brain I don't have. So I'm curious. I'd be curious like what a writer or an artist to see what their view like the impact that this had on them personally if it gave them inspiration or anything like cuz I can't see that in the book and that's through no fault. I mean mate it it's great for what I need it to be and I think it's a beautiful work of art. Um it just doesn't like influence me like it may influence thousands of graphic future comic creators. A contract with Mark Farrington. It was everything I wish Harry Picard's Cleveland was. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What a show. Wow. Beautiful. One show left. After next week's fireside, before extended hiatus, hiatus do bread bowls. This show is going to be hard to top. Could be the best show I've ever done. <laughs> Could be oh, certainly yeah. the most emotional figures. <laughs> We're going out on top. Taking a break. Till next time, though. Tapping the brakes. Uh, we'll see everybody next week next week.